But that's not what the message is about this morning. This message is a commissioned message, if you want to say it that way. We were, each congregation was asked to bring a um, qualifications message, if you want to call it that, for this ordination that's coming up prior to the ordination. And so I've been asked to give this sermon this morning. And as you all know, we need two men. Well, at this point, we need two. We need more than that. But at this point, we plan, Lord willing, to ordain two men to be ministers. And the name of my, or the title of the message this morning is Whose Faith Follow? Now, I'm stealing that from Philip Martin and some of his discipleship messages. But it fits so well with the thought this morning. Whose faith follow? We need two men whose faith you can follow, who you can tell your children that they are men that you can follow and trust. Now, please don't tune me out because you feel like you won't be nominating anyway because a lot of people don't nominate. A lot of people don't really get involved with the ordination process. And that's the easy route to take. But hopefully by the time this message is over, you're inspired to put a little more effort into um, some, maybe some serious knee time. Asking God for direction and choosing men to fill the needs of the church. And then be willing to be part of that process, either of nomination or whatever God calls you to do, if you feel the Spirit lead. If God comes, gives you a clear direction, follow His leading. This title, Whose Faith Follow, comes from Hebrews 13, verses 7 and 8. It says, Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow. Considering the end of their conversation, and I'm going to add two words here, which is Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. So you have the command, remember them which have the rule over you. In essence, I want to say who are following Christ. Who are be they are becoming more like Christ. Therefore, you can tell your children, you can follow their faith, and you can tell your children to follow their faith. That's the kind of men we need. Whose faith follows? Let's turn to Acts 6. I want to read verses 1 to 7. And this gives us a basis for, for a start for choosing men this is the first time I know of that uh, the early church chose men. And you could correct me if I'm wrong there, but this is, I think, the first time that the early church chose men to be leaders. Acts 6, I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. And in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews, because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. 
And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Procurus, and, <clears throat> and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, and a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Okay, we see in verse 1 there was a need. There was needs in the church that were not being met. We have a need. We have multiple churches that need more ministry. So I don't think it's much different today than it was then. How do we go about filling that need? We endeavor to follow the early church example that we find here in Acts. How do they go about it? Well, in verse 2, the leadership, which would have been the 12 apostles, called what is, is said the multitude of disciples. We would call that today the laity or the non-ordained. So the leaders called everybody else and said, look, we need men to help in, with a leadership role. And they told them. The leaders, the disciples, told the, the apostles told the disciples, the, the multitude of disciples, you choose seven men. We're only asking to choose two. So we have been given the task to choose, or look out from among us, two men qualified to be ministers. That rests squarely on your shoulders. I want you to think about that a little bit. This isn't something you can just brush off. This is what they did. They asked the church to choose men from among them, qualified, qualified men. Remember Hebrews 13, 7 that we just read, whose faith you can follow, men qualified to follow. They need to be men which your children and grandchildren can look up to and can go to with questions. Of course, you have no guarantee that anybody you choose is going to be perfect. No man is. But that's what we need. Men with a high standard, a, a strong faith. You and I have a tremendous responsibility in helping to choose these two men. Now we may, at the peak, may think it really doesn't matter. And it won't, you know, whoever's ordained won't affect us much. But it will. Remember, we're a brotherhood. And these two men will be leaders in the church. And it will have an effect on the broader, the broader spectrum of churches we're part of. Now the criteria for those seven men and the two that we need, verse 3. Honest, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may have appoint over, over this business. So honest. Now hopefully honesty isn't a problem, but it might be. What about exaggerations? What are, you know, when you think of a man who is going to lead the church, do you want somebody that likes to tell tales that you're really not sure are true? And some of these things kind of stepped on my toes. As I looked at this message... I felt like I came up really short. 
but are, we need men that are honest, not only to us, but to the world around them. Does the world around us see men, our leaders, as honest? Business dealings, no matter what it is, are you honest? And another thing that challenged me, this is, this is a stipulation that every man in our church ought to be, we ought to strive to be leadership material, if you want to say it that way. We ought to fit what the New Testament says our leaders should be. And I'll tell you a little side story here. We were talking, this is years ago when I was a teenager, we were talking, I was talking to a, a, uh, a guy I was doing some work for, and he was talking about they were looking for a new pastor in their church. And they're having a terrible time. I mean, they, they hired one, and I mean, he just turned out to be a, a dud, and they hired another one, and well, they, they were looking at maybe hiring a woman or something. It was, it was bad. And he looked at me and said, well, y'all, you all don't ordain or don't get ministers don't hire your ministers, do you? I said, no, we ordain from within our church. He said, but you have people, you have qualified people in your churches. We don't. Mm -hmm. Think about that. The responsibility lays on us as men to be who we need to be as leaders. So we need to be honest. Is our word dependable? Do, it's what we say accurate to the best of our ability. Secondly, full of the Holy Ghost. Is it evident that God is working in this person's life? If someone, if someone is filled with the Holy Ghost, that power will show through. You'll see it in his daily walk. You'll see it when he expresses, when he talks about his walk with the Lord or how God is affecting his life in, his, in this person's willingness to work. Is he filled with the Holy Ghost? Does this person apply himself diligently to the Word when in teaching or devotional type settings? Or is he lazy or careless in Sunday school lesson or devotional preparation? And I tell you, I'm thankful for the Sunday school class I'm part of. Diligent men, and I appreciate it, put their heart into Sunday school teaching. That is, Sunday school is as important as what I'm doing right here. It is a time, a different time of growth and of, of studying a word that you can't do in a sermon, but when you can converse and discuss the word, we need men that lead out well there. And we have that here, and I'm very thankful for it. Is the Holy Spirit governing his everyday life, or are there areas that make you, make you question his sincerity? Full of wisdom. Wisdom is the God-given ability to put knowledge into practice. Some guys, you could probably all think of someone who is not like that. I'm not talking about inner circles. I'm talking about people you rub shoulders with. Doesn't use wisdom in their daily judgments of what they do. You know, We need men full of wisdom. We need to be looking for someone who shows that he uses the wisdom that God has given him. He will have op ample opportunity to do that if he's ordained. If he doesn't use wisdom before he is ordained, it most likely won't come too natural afterwards either. Remember, we're looking for men that you can tell your children to look up to. 
And it says, whom we, whom we may appoint over this business. I'd like to rephrase that. They're available to do the work of the Lord. Some people find themselves in circumstances. They're not available to fulfill the work of the church. They're not, they wouldn't, for whatever reason in life, they're not able to be called to the ministry, whether it's financial obligations, you know, physical disabilities, maybe their age keeps them from it, too young or too old, getting to the point where it, is, it isn't reasonable to ordain them. So we're looking for men that are available whom we may appoint over this business. They're really capable of being appointed. And the list could go on. Of things that, that possibly could keep someone from being available. Now, as you think about that, what about you? Are you that man that's available? Or are you unavailable to be that leader? We've got quite a few very qualified young men sitting here this morning. Are you one of them? So what does this look like in real life? What kind of person does the church really need? We've given some basics to what they looked at in the early church setting. But what does that really look like? What character traits should we be looking for? I would like to take an example from the greatest leader there ever was. That's from Jesus. What was Jesus like? We need men who pattern their lives after Jesus. Will we find a man in our circles that is perfect for the calling? That is a perfect example of who Jesus was here on earth? I'm, I would say no. There's nobody that is perfect. But there are men whom God has called to this work, that he has been preparing and working in their lives. No one is a perfect minister. That is why we have a plural ministry. Brother Jay fills in where I have fail failures, and hopefully I can do the same for him. And we as a team hopefully fulfill the needs that God has called us to fulfill. No man can do it all, but each one takes their part. So what are we really looking for? A man with a heart like Jesus. What does that look like? Well, Jesus led by example first. First and foremost, Jesus led by example. Jesus faced hard times here on earth. And as I look at the current situation in America, I think the church is going to face some very difficult times. We felt like the last several years have been difficult. We may, in retrospect, think they weren't. I don't know. We don't know what the future holds. But the, the, the times ahead are challenging. But when you look at the early church and what they went through, what Jesus faced, it's no more challenging than what he faced or they faced. Persecution was severe. They walked through it. So can we. We need men who are faithful enough to do that. But Jesus gave us many examples of what leadership, what servant leadership looked like. And first of all, Jesus was a servant. I've got several points here of things that Jesus did that I'd like to look at. 
that these men will need to have, character traits they'll need to have. And this was commanded in Matthew 20, verses 25 to 28. Jesus was a servant. We have that the command to do to be that in Matthew 20, verses 25 to 28. So these are things that are required of us, even though, even if we're not called to the ministry, this needs to be part of our lives. Matthew 20, verses 25 to 28. But Jesus called them unto him and said, Ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus didn't come to rule. He came to serve. These men will need to do that. Be servants. Servants at heart. Jesus gave a perfect example of that. And we think of it now as the basin and the towel. A beautiful example where Jesus washed his servants' feet. He did the dirtiest task Nobody forced him to. Nobody asked him to. He did it simply to show love and acceptance, even to his traitor. That's, to me, when I think of that, that's almost more than I can imagine. Jesus knew what Judas was going to do, and yet he washed his feet. What kind of man, man today, who of you is willing to treat your worst enemy that way? A traitor that way. But this is what we're called as men, as leaders, to do. These men will need to speak the truth in love. And for a command for that, we can go to the Great Commission. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. And we could go on baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, whatever. But anyway, what I like to look at there is they teach all nations. They speak the truth to people. Tell them what needs to be said, what needs to be heard in love. The Bible has used, been used many times as a club. It's never intended to be used that way. They will need to speak the truth in love, to teach and to preach and tell people what, needs to be, what they need to hear, the truth of the gospel. For an example of that, let's go to, the, to um, well, let's think about the woman at the well. You know, when he met, when Jesus met the Samaritan woman there at the well, she said, I don't have a husband. Was she, was she telling the truth? In a way, she was. Jesus said, I know you don't. You had five husbands. He spoke truth right into her heart, and he did it in love. He did it because he loved her, and he proved who he was to her and what she really needed. He spoke the truth in love to that woman. Not in common, in, in, you know, it could have been so easy for Jesus to, to condemn that woman and drive her away, but he never did that. He didn't drive people away with condemnation. He spoke the truth, but it was done in such a way that it drew them to himself. That's what these men will need to do. These men will need to be kind and tenderhearted. 
And for a command there, Ephesians 4.32, I should be able to quote it. Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. I don't think that Jesus ever, that we have a scripture, and maybe I'm wrong, I don't know that Jesus ever directly commanded us be kind. But Paul did. He did through Paul. But he demonstrated it over and over and over, being kind and tenderhearted. For an example, though, let's turn to Mark 10, verses 13 to 16. Mark 10, verses 13 to 16. And they brought young children to him that he should touch them. And his disciples rebuked those that brought them. Now these disciples were simply being normal men and getting frustrated with people around them getting in the way and, and their masters got things to do and places to go and stuff to deal with and diseases to heal. And you're bringing children in here? Keep them out of the way. And Jesus said, no, bring the children to me. When Jesus saw it, he was much displeased and said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall not enter therein. Kind and tenderhearted to the least of these, my brethren. We need men that love children and care about the least of these, whoever that may be. We need men that are generous and kingdom focused. Generous with their time, resources, and energy. And for the command for that, let's turn to Matthew 6, verses 19 to 21. Matthew 6, verses 19 to 21. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. As a minister, as a servant, there's ample opportunity to give of yourself. There's no end to the time that you can give. So we'll need men that are generous. And I say kingdom focused as in their generosity is focused on building the kingdom. There's men in the world that are extremely generous. They give millions to charities and whatnot, but they're not kingdom focused. Their focus is not building the kingdom of God. Their energies, their monies, whatever is given really because of what it reflects on themselves. And it cannot be that way. It has to be kingdom focused. Now, for an example for that, let's turn to Matthew 14, how Jesus applied this, how Jesus did that. So we know uh, we're not to lay up treasures for ourselves. Let's turn to Matthew 14. And how Jesus was generous. Verses 13 to 21. Matthew 14, verses 13 to 21. Now this happens. This 
passage of Scripture comes right on the heels of John the Baptist being beheaded. In verse 13, and when Jesus heard of it, and it's talking about John the Baptist being beheaded, he departed from thence by ship into a desert place apart. And when the people heard thereof, they followed him on foot out of the cities. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them, and he healed their sick. And when it was evening, his disciples came to him, saying, This is a desert place, and the time is now past. Send the multitude away, that they may go into the villages and buy themselves victuals. But Jesus said unto them, They need not depart. Give ye them to eat. And they say unto him, We have here but five loaves and two fishes. And he said, Bring them hither to me. And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass and took the five loaves and the two fishes. And looking up to heaven, he blessed and brake and gave the loaves to his disciples and the disciples to the multitude. And they did all eat and were filled. And they took up of the fragments that remained twelve baskets full. And they that had eaten were about five thousand men beside women and children. So as you think about the logistics of what just happened here, Jesus, somebody comes to Jesus and tells him John the Baptist was just beheaded. That would be like a little bit like me saying Paul Shirk was just beheaded. Now, you, some of you don't know Paul Shirk, but he would have been the bishop that baptized me. A good friend, someone I trusted, except John and Jesus were the same age. A cousin, very close. I don't know that they were extremely close like John or Jesus and his disciples, but they were close. Jesus hears about John being beheaded. And so he gets in a boat, goes across the sea. In verse 13, he goes, went into a desert place apart. But the people followed him on the shore. And it says, and when Jesus went forth, it seems like when he got to the shore and got out of the boat, he sees these people and he has compassion on them. He didn't even have time to grieve John's loss. He left his own emotions, his own hurt, his own whatever he was dealing with. And he looked to the needs of all these people, taught them, healed them, and fed them. As I look at that, you know, Jesus had all the right to just say, leave me alone for a while. I need some space. I need some me time. He didn't do that. He met the needs of these people. Jesus was generous and kingdom focused with his time, energy, and everything he had. He gave up his time to grieve. And he was moved with compassion for people. Are we moved with compassion when we see people in need? These men will need to be surrendered. And the command for that, Matthew 6, verse 33, says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. That's not all the verse. I can't quote it all without turning to it. But seek ye first the kingdom of God. Surrender our lives to the kingdom of God. Now, remember, no man can be a perfect leader. No man can minister to all the needs in a congregation. But these men will need to be surrendered to God and the church. Because that call will be a big pull in their lives. And they'll need to be part of a ministerial team 
and be, they'll need to be willing to work with that ministerial team. And Jesus gave us a perfect example of that. In Luke twenty-two forty-two. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and we know the verse, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Jesus was a team player. He and the Father and the Spirit worked together. He was willing to give up himself for that team effort and our salvation. These men will, be, will need to be willing to give up of themselves. Now, how do we go about finding two men like this? First of all, are you a man like that? Or a lady like that? Because their wives will carry a huge responsibility also. Not so much in the leadership side of things, but compassion, reaching out, stabilizing their husband, helping him to be able to think properly on issues. Wives are a huge part of this ministerial call. But how do we go about finding these two people, these two men? This is where we come in, you come in. The multitude of the disciples, as it says back in Acts 6. You know your brothers and sisters. The church is asking each of us to be seeking God's will in this matter. And you need to be asking for the Spirit's guidance and be open to follow his leading if he brings someone to your mind. But you need to know that brother or that maybe it's a couple. Normally if it's a brother in our circles, they're married. So you need to know the husband and wife. What are they really like? Are they what they seem to be? You know, to have heard somebody give a devotional, man, they're a good speaker. Let's nominate them. That's not what we're looking for. We need... To know. You need to know the person you're nominating. But how do you know if it's God's leading? If God's really laying this person on your heart? If this person really is who God's telling you to nominate? Well, do you really know them? Do you feel like you're close enough to them to say, I feel like I know who they really are. What they, if they really are who they say they are, who they portray. If you know them that well and they fill these prerequisites we talked about, do they live a life like Jesus? Do they lead? Are they a team player? Are they submitted to God's kingdom? If so, that's the kind of church, a person the church needs. Are you that kind of person and am I? And I would have to say no, I'm not. But by God's grace, I hope I can be. I can become more like that. I find myself, as I studied this lesson, or this message, I found myself coming up very short. But there are many men in our circles that do qualify, that are men of God, that have a heart for people. So I believe that God will lead and give direction. And each of us should be involved. Whether or not we bring a, a name to the table, nominate someone, pray about it. And ask God to direct you, whether He wants you to or not, and who. 
But I want to add this yet. In the ordination process, be, and I want to be very careful what I say, but be as kind and loving toward these men, whoever's nominated, as you would want them to be towards you if they are your minister. How would you want to be treated by your ministry, by someone in leadership? The principles, the biblical principles of how to treat someone or relate to someone don't change because we're in a ministerial, we're in a, in a in a ordination process. We have Matthew 18, verses 15 to 17, that give us ways of, you know, if there's something in someone's life, go to them. That's not just during an ordination process. That's not for just other times. If you see a weakness in someone's life, be open to go to, if God's asking you to go to them, go to them. Be honest with them. Now, there are things that may be overlooked and in the ordination process need to be brought up. But be very careful before you do that. There is no, nobody here that is perfect. There is not a man among us who can't, in, we can't in some way find a criticism, find some way of saying they're not perfect. But there are men very qualified for this job. God can use you in this process. And I think he is wanting to use us as a congregation to bring forth men qualified. Men whose faith you, your children, your grandchildren can follow. <laughs>